So if you guys haven't noticed by the, the trees and the decorating and the tapestries and, and all that stuff, we're starting a series in Advent this week. Um, uh, and along with that, uh, we're, we're also starting a four-week study. And we're going to look at uh, specifically a chapter in the book of Isaiah, Isaiah 9, if you want to start turning there. And our focus point over the next four weeks will be on Isaiah's description of the coming Messiah, the, the, the prophecy that he's laying out in Isaiah 9, uh, he, he mentions four things in verse 6. His name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, and Prince of Peace. And we're going to focus on those four names over the next four weeks. But as we focus on these names, as we think about this text, and, and we kind of prepare ourselves uh, for Christmas, I want to ask I want you to be asking this question. You ready? I want you to ask this question over the next four weeks. Do you need him? We talk about him being our wonderful counselor. Do you need his counsel? As we talk about him being a mighty God, do you need his strength? We talk about him being the everlasting father. Do you need his parenting? A prince of peace, do you need his peace? I don't think there would be many of us here this morning that if I were to ask, do we need God's rescue? Most of us would say, yeah, I understand enough of the gospel and, 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 and know he kind of, he holds the keys to heaven and, and so I need his rescue. There'd be plenty of us, I'm sure, that given the question, they would say, hey, could you have access to God, we would want his access. So we would say, yeah, give me some of his access. Give us access to the Father. But the question is, does it stop there? Do we, do we right there, do we throw our hands up and say, okay, I'm good. Everlasting, heaven awaiting, that's good. Access to God whenever I need it. If I get in a bind, I want to be able to call on him, and you come to my rescue again, or help me through things. But do we want his counsel? Do we want to be parented, strengthened, and given his peace? It's an awesome thing to be able to start and kick this study off by coming to the Lord's table. Our church's standards have us always have us teach the word before we come to the table. And here's the reason why we've done that for centuries. We do that because by teaching the word, by coming to the text, we're reminded why we need Jesus. And that's such an important thing when we come to the table is to be reminded, why do you need Jesus? We had talked already this morning, uh, our liturgy is kind of laid out, our music is laid out uh, beautifully, this idea that season is this, this longing. It's this season of building expectation for the coming of Christ. Now, many of you, when we said that, we thought, oh, wait, wait, I thought Advent was like, and Christmas is all celebration of like this thing that happened like 2,000 years ago where Jesus came, baby, manger, uh, all those kind of things. Uh, and then later on, we celebrate Easter, which is, you know, he's a man now, and, and he comes and he dies on the cross and he secures our everlasting salvation. And Christmas is kind of the start of all of that that took place. So this idea that Advent is, yes, we celebrate what has happened, but we also look forward to what has come because what is real, what this video reminds us of, 
is that we are in a tension between what is already and what is not yet. And every one of us could probably tell a story of that tension, right, that we feel. Uh, a, a loved one who's sick, a, a career that's, that's less than ideal, some specific situation, some struggle, some internal wrestling that's going on. Uh, it's the already, yes, Jesus has come. He has died on the cross and locked up for his children for all time, salvation, eternal salvation, but the tension of he will come again. And we live in this middle tension here. I think many of us would agree that over the last couple of days, I'm sure if you've watched nearly as much TV as I have or, or, or whatever, if you were out and about shopping, you have seen every gadget and new thing thrown in your face. Uh, you, you, have, you have had all the new things um, pitched to you on TV uh, and, and said, this is something you need. This is something you need in your life. You may have even, as you were gathering, had loved ones come and say, now, hey, what do you, what do you want for Christmas? I'm going out. I'm going to wait in these lines. Uh, what, what, did you see anything in the newspaper? Uh, anything I can go and get for you? What do you want? What do you need? And as we go through this series, I just want to ask that we would consider to what degree we even sense our great need for Jesus. That's what I want to wrestle with over these next four weeks. Now, I'm not expecting anyone, uh, especially anyone who's planning on getting me anything, to swear off gift giving. And, and hear me saying right now, all I want for Christmas is Jesus. All right? Don't hear me say that. I'll, I like stuff. So if you're planning on getting me stuff, feel free. Go ahead and get me stuff. I'm not, that's not what I'm saying here. But if wrestling with this question causes you to be a little less invested in building your kingdom here and a little more mindful to consider uniting with Christ and building his kingdom, I'm okay with that. It, it, just a little bit. If we just nudge the needle in this big machine, in this culture that we live in, if we just nudge the needle a little bit to consider less about building our kingdom and, and we become a li little less tethered to this world and become a little bit more mindful of things to come, true riches, I'm okay with that. If you'll open your Bibles, if you haven't already, to Isaiah 9, um, if you're struggling to find Isaiah, because I'm sure it's a book that you guys always go to, it's a little past halfway in your Bible, uh, settled next to other major prophets in the Old Testament. Uh, we're also going to have it on the screen for you. And if you would, stand with me in honor of God's word as I read it for us. Isaiah 9, and I'm going to read the whole chapter for us. But there will be no gloom for her who was in anguish. In the former time, he brought into contempt the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. But in the latter times, he has made glorious the way of the sea, the land beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the nations. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in the land of deep darkness, on them has shown light. You have multiplied the nations. You have increased its joy. They rejoice before you as with joy at the harvest, as they are glad when they divide the spoil. For the yoke of his burden and the staff of his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor, you have broken on the day of Midian. 
For every boot of the trampled warrior in battle turmoils, and every gar garment rolled in blood will be burned as fuel for the fire. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulders, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and peace there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom, to establish it, to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. The Lord has sent a word against Jacob, and it will fall on Israel, and all the people will know Ephraim and the inhabitants of Syria, who say in pride and in arrogance of heart, The bricks have fallen, but we will build these dressed stones. The sycamores have been cut down. But we will put cedars in their place. But the Lord raises the adversaries for Razin against him and stirs up his enemies. The Syrians on the east and the Philistines on the west devour Israel with an open mouth. For all this, his anger has not turned away, and his hand is stretched out still. The people did not turn to him who struck them, nor inquire of the Lord of hosts. So the Lord cut off from Israel head and tail, palm, branch, Read in one day. The elder and the honored man is the head, and the prophet who teaches lies is the tail. For those who guide this people have been leading them astray, and those who are guided by them are swallowed up. Therefore the Lord does not rejoice over their young men, and has no compassion on their fatherless and widows. For everyone is godless and an evildoer, and every mouth speaks folly. For all this his anger has not turned away, and his hand is stretched out still. For wickedness burns like a fire, it consumes briars and thorns, it kindles the thickets of the forest, and they roll upward in a column of smoke. Through the wrath of the Lord of hosts, the land is scorched, and the people are like fuel for the fire, no one spares another. They slice meat on the right, but are still hungry, and they devour on the left, but are not satisfied. Each devours the flesh of his own arm. Manasseh devours Ephraim, and Ephraim devours Manasseh. Together they are against Judah. For all this, his anger has not turned away, and his hand is stretched out still. Isaiah also reminds us that the flower fades and the grass withers, but the word of the Lord stands forever. As you take your seats, we pray with me. Father, I thank you for your word this morning, and um, God, pray that you would help us to understand it. There's some confusing and and, and weird stuff in this passage, and I pray that you would give us understanding, that these truths would settle in to even our time and place, and how you speak true, truth to us even this morning, through your prophet Isaiah, who lived so long ago. May your word come and rest upon us, enter our hearts and change us, we pray. Amen. I said this a few weeks back. Um, us beginning to grasp the gospel starts with first this gut level acknowledgement of the mess that we're in. Us beginning to, to grasp the gospel message starts with a gut level acknowledgement of our mess. In other words, the term gospel, which means good news, implies that there's something bad in there somewhere. In our text, Isaiah, he doesn't give us this image 
of this beautiful ice cream sundae. And here comes Christ coming along, and he's just the cherry that just drops on the top. He gives us this setting of a world dwelling in darkness. Look at verse 2. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in the land of deep darkness, on them a light has shone. Have you guys, uh, I, I watch YouTube every now and then, uh, probably more than I should. Have you guys seen these videos uh, of these glasses that apparently make color blindness like go away? Um, you guys seen, have you seen the videos? Uh, so there was one that kind of came across my Instagram feed the other day, and it's this kid in school, and apparently his class, uh, for some special occasion, had bought a pair of these glasses and had given them to him. And I have yet to see one of these videos where someone is given these glasses and they put them on and there's not this instant reaction. Usually they just lose it. Old men, young boys, in this case, young boys who just immediately when they put these glasses on have a reaction. And so what you and I probably don't understand because most of us see in color is that when they put these glasses on, the world changes in a moment. Um, the, the things that were once, so this, this story, this boy, he puts them on and he, he gets up from his desk and he's looking at the periodic table on the wall, something I hated as a child. I hated memorizing all of those things. I hated knowing all these guys in medical school are like, ah, that's nothing, that's child's play. Uh, but you look at this thing and he's just like crying in front of the periodic table, not because of all these elements, because the colors that he's never seen before, this idea of purple that people talk about, like this candle that we were talking about, this idea of purple is nothing more than a word on a page in, in a world of gray. But all of a sudden, the idea of purple comes into reality in a moment when he puts these glasses on, and that is purple. I can't imagine what that must be like to have that restored in a moment. Things that they'd only heard about their whole life and now get to experience in person. In verse 6 in our text, For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulders, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor. Webster defines the term counselor, a person who gives advice or counseling. So we asked this question earlier. I'm going to ask it several times. Do you long for the counsel of the Lord? Do you long for his advice? Do you wait for it? If I'm honest, most of the time uh, when it comes to making a big decision or, or anything like that, God's voice kind of slips in there amongst others. I, I just try to pull around me as many voices, as many people and voices that I respect, uh, internet searches, uh, what Google tells me, what Siri can find out for me, and, and kind of put all that together in one collective thing. And God is just one of those voices. And, and at the end of the day, I just kind of take all of them into consideration, but ultimately go the way that I, that I want to go. And here's the other part. I always put him on a clock, right? I pray prayers like, well, God, I'm, I'm going to go this direction. And if this is not the direction you want me to go, then shut that door. Like, like block that off. Because I'm heading that way unless you, you stop me. 
And here's, I'm not saying that it's wrong to pray prayers like that. Please don't hear me say that. Uh, but I know my intention when I pray a prayer like that. Oftentimes my intention is, I just don't want to wait. I don't want to wait. I don't want to have this thing where, where I'm longing for something like that. I, I want instantaneous. Some of you guys traveled for Thanksgiving. Others of you guys stayed here. Many of you guys have maybe found yourself in a situation that I often found myself with. I didn't find myself in it this year because I didn't go home. Um, you have that person, right, that when Thanksgiving doesn't start until that person gets there, they may, you may know what I'm talking about. So you could be smelling this great, bountiful feast that you showed up for because it's a priority for you. That eating and all that, it's priority for you, priority number one for this guy. So I'm smelling it all morning kind of thing, and, and there's a time, it's 1130, 12 o'clock, whatever it is, and, and that's when it's a free-for-all. But then you're told by someone, well, we can't start until enter in your regularly tardy sibling, your slow-driving grandparent, your crazy uncle who lost his way or just decided to do other things, whoever that person is, but Thanksgiving cannot start until Christmas, opening presents, whatever it is, cannot start until that person gets there. Now, that's, that's a way. Maybe you found yourself in a place where you had the inner strength, right, and you were smelling all that goodness, and you were thinking, you know, it would be honorable for us to wait on Grammy to get here. It, it, it would honor her. We're not going to eat. Or maybe you were the guy or the girl who were sneaking in the kitchen when no one was looking. You were sampling, right? You were, you were trying to get something to kind of stave off the hunger. Whichever one you were, you found yourself in some sense for the greater good honoring someone by waiting in that particular instance. You were disciplining yourself, right, for the sake of someone else. Can any of you guys relate to that? Am I, am I the only one? I'm definitely the one sampling, by the way. Look at verses 13 through 17. The people who did not turn to him, who, the people did not turn to him who struck them, nor inquire of the Lord of hosts. So the Lord cut off from Israel the head and tail, palm branch and reed in one day. The elder and the honored man is the head, the prophet who teaches lies is the tails. For those who guide this people have been leading them astray, and those who are guided by them are swallowed up. Therefore, the Lord does not rejoice over their young men and has no compassion on their fatherless and widows. For everyone is godless and an evildoer, and every mouth speaks folly. So this is, obviously, there's a lot here we could dive into this. But Isaiah is basically mentioning here and bringing to light that we have a natural tendency to let other voices overtake the Lord's voice. We have, we have a natural tendency to let the counsel of other people, whether it be the masses and the crowds that we find ourselves in, or, or the people that we value and esteem as the elders and the prophets or whatever the day, and we, and we revere their counsel, but we take it over what the Lord has already said. So these people were given the standard, they were given the law and said, hey, go and do this and you will be blessed. But then all these other voices came in on top of that and said, yeah, but it, 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 we're all going to do this. We're all going to go this way. And at this point, Isaiah's prophesying at a time in, his, in, in Israel's history 
from a certain point of the Israelite kingdom after they've split, and, and Babylon is coming. Okay, so we know very soon that the people of Israel are going to be conquered, and they're going to be thrown into captivity for years. And so Isaiah, knowing, being given the wisdom from the Lord of this, is basically saying, guys, you've got this coming. I, I gave you what you needed to know, and I said, follow this. And, and you went to everyone else. You look to everyone else's counsel, and so I'm about to cut it off. And so this idea of the head and the tail, the palm branch and the reed, is saying I'm going to get the complete thing all in one day. I'm going to take it all out. Now what he doesn't say here, and it's very interesting, is he's not going to touch the root. And so later in Isaiah, when he says the root from the stump of Jesse... That's where Jesus comes from. So I'm going to cut off the tree. I'm going to fail the tree, but I'm going to leave the root because out of the root from the stump of Jesse, Jesus is going to come. A new branch. We talk about this branch from the line of David. It's this imagery that Israel, that, that Isaiah is trying to put forward here, is that something new is coming, but the old has to go away. The old way of thinking, the old way of living. And, it, and if you've been the perpetrator of that old way, you've got to go. They honored the wrong person. They took the wrong counsel. And, and just for a second, if you start to feel sorry for Isaiah, Isaiah knew what he was getting into. If you look at Isaiah 6, when Isaiah basically takes the job as prophet, um, he's given this vision uh, you, where he sees the Lord high and exalted. You could almost argue that this is his, his colorblind glasses moment where he puts on the glasses and, re and realizes who God is, what he is, but his response is, oh, woe is me. This is Isaiah 6, 5. Woe to me, I cried. I am ruined, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips, and my eyes have seen the King, the Lord, the Almighty. But in that moment also... He, he, he's given this vision where this, this thing, this cherubim, goes and grabs a coal from the altar, this burning thing, and it comes and touches his lips. And what we see there is the symbolism of Jesus, right, who comes and takes away the sin, who, who through fire and, and great cost burns out. And so after experience that, after experiencing all of this moment of seeing the Lord as he is, but also experiencing his mercy and his grace, his response is verse 8. Then I heard a voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send and who will go for us? And Isaiah chimes in, Here am I. Send me. And then this is the task that he's given. Go to this people. Be ever hearing but never understanding. Ever seeing but never perceiving. Make the heart of this people calloused. Make their ears dull and close their eyes. How would you love a job like that? To be able to go and with this message, knowing that this is their response. He goes on to describe in chapter 6, as he does in chapter 9, our text, of, of things just going from bad to worse. And it leads us to this spiritual principle that I want to stick in your brain. And, and it's uh, Alex uh, Motyer, who uh, basically wrote a, uh, a commentary on Isaiah he kind of mentioned this in his commentary, and it just kind of stuck in my brain, and I would love for it to stick in yours. When the word is rejected, 
every grace is subject to erosion. When the word is rejected, every grace is subject to erosion. Isaiah's experience also reminds us that our ability to, to see and to discern spiritual things is a privilege. It's a privilege that's given, and it's a privilege that's sustained by God. And without it, we're blind. We cannot see these things. 1 Corinthians 2.14 says, The natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him, and he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. We're left to our own devices, which means we remain slaves to sin. So what does it look like for us to pursue the counsel of the Lord? Another way to ask that question is, is a popular question that maybe me or you or uh, many of us, I'm sure, have asked over there. How do I know the will of God for my life? Have you ever asked that question? You ever been in a situation where you're like, how do I know that God's talking to me? How do I know in, in this particular instance what the will of the Lord is for me? I'm, I'm just going to put another statement out there. If you want to know God's will, you have to know God's word. If you want to know God's will, you have to know God's word. The Barna Group, which is a Christian group that does research um, and does different trends, and every year they put out a study which basically looks at trends and biblical engagement. Uh, and this year's numbers are out. I want to show you this, you know, because it's getting to the end of the year. I want you to know how you guys are doing. Um, Two significant things, uh, but, but less encouraging, uh, is the spectrum of Bible engagement. It's worth noting. Uh, the first is that Bible-centered adults, now this is how they define a Bible-centered adult, defined as interacting with the Bible frequently, seeing it transform their relationships and influence their decisions. So that's a lot of what we're talking about this morning. So people who, you know, consult the Bible, but, but it's trans, they would say that the Bible transforms their relationships and influences their decisions, which may be more than most common people. They, like, we'll, we'll look at it, but what they're saying is this, the Bible, Bible is guiding me into the relationships. It's guiding, I'm using the truths therein to influence relationship. So it was 9%. It's not overly high if you're not a statistical person. I didn't make high in statistics. But 9% is out of 100, so it's not very high. Um, and now it's down to 5%. The other trend is more then one-third of adults, 35%, report never using the Bible in 2019. 35% out of 100% never used the Bible in 2019. That as well is up by 10% since 2011. Now, we don't need these statistics to know that Bible literacy, um, I was listening to this talk the other day, and it was talking about people come into church a lot of times, and they have this not in their stomach, meaning we're going into this place and things may be asked of me like, where's Isaiah? And I'm ashamed to say, I don't know where Isaiah is in the Bible. And I don't want people seeing me look in the table of contents for Isaiah. Now, let me just free you. Look in the table of contents. It's totally okay. I would imagine that probably most of us, if we were to say, recite, recite all the books of the Bible, most of us would fail. Okay, so be free. Okay. But Bible literacy is at an all-time low. And we're talking about this thing that's meant to give life and direction. It contains the counsel of the Lord. 
right? It, it, declined, it says, this is who I am, and this is what I expect. Why would we shun that? Well, if you're like me, perhaps your reasoning is this. Because it's counsel from someone who hasn't shown his face in over 2,000 years. And he tells us to consult some old, often outdated, not politically correct book as a source of wisdom. Does anyone else struggle with that at times? Now, that's, that's not what I believe, but it's how I act. At times, I, I do think. It's like, oh, man, I wish he would you know, show up. Like in, you know, like he did, empowered, majesty, and everyone. And this book, like it's so difficult. I'm having conversations, and I'm, and and you tell me to do this thing, like you tell me to believe this or a hold fast to these truths, and everyone I know is like so far beyond this and, and doing something else, and I feel like an alien. I feel more and more like an alien, like a misfit politically incorrect. I don't like feeling that way. I don't like feeling like I'm a minority who's out of touch with reality. The counsel of the Lord, you know this already. You feel this if you're like me. The counsel of the Lord is oftentimes unpopular. It's becoming less and less politically correct by the day. And those who decide that they are going to live by it are going to experience persecution. And I don't mean to say that that gives us rights to just kind of hold fast in our traditions, right? And not be humble about our sin and our struggles, because that's not what the Bible teaches. So we're not holding fast to traditions. We're not holding fast to just we're holding fast to the word, which oftentimes means holding fast to those traditions that are based in the word keeps us, they're, they're one and the same, but it's not, it's not always. And, and when we interact with the world, we don't do so with a shaky fist. We do so with humility and love and grace. That's really hard to do. It's really hard to walk those lines, to have those conversations. But this is a place where we're supposed to do that. This is a place where we're supposed to wrestle with what that looks like. We're supposed to call each other and say, hey, I, I think we can, we can stand on this. Like, don't, don't back down. Don't change. I know it's unpopular. But don't, don't leave the word of God behind. We're going to need to hear that. You're going to need to share that with one another at times. Other times, we're going to need to hear, we can be more loving. We preach the gospel here every week. We want to welcome people who don't know it. We want them here. We want them here to hear the gospel because we're going to teach it. So we will welcome them, be part of it, as weird as it may be to them. Our songs, our, our liturgies, our responses, or lighting candles. I mean, if you're from the outside, this is all weird. It's really weird. But we want to welcome them in because there's truth and there's reason behind what we're doing here. Do you long for the counsel of the Lord? The psalmist in Psalm 1, he hasn't given us all the answers that we may want as to how we know the will of the Lord. He does remind us what waits those who walk in it. 
Psalm 1, verses 1 through 3. Blessed is the one who does not walk in step with the wicked or stand in the way of sinners, take seat in the company of mockers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on it he meditates day and night. That person is like a tree planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in season, whose leaves do not wither. Whatever they do prospers. We want to be that. I, I, would, I would bet 100% if given the tra- would you like to be a withering tree in the desert, barely hanging on, that never produces any fruit, and everything you do fails? I would bet 100% of people would say, no, nah, I'll let that pass. I'll be, the, I'll be the tree by the river, though, that, that always yields its fruit in season, that always prospers. I'll, I'll be that tree. Does that mean God is going to tell you audibly through his word which job to take or clarity on certain life decisions? Not necessarily. But the word of God reminds us of God's unchanging character. That's important for us. For us to know this God that we serve is unchanging, which helps us to discern many of the other voices that we often hear that are not based in the truth of God's word. It helps us discern between the fake voices and the true voice of wisdom. It reminds our hearts of the reality of what is greatest, of greatest importance in our lives. When we are so often tempted to settle for cheap substitutes, we don't want to wait. If given the choice of waiting and holding on and and, and being steadfast, in the truths of God's word, or settling for a cheap substitute that I can have today, we often find ourselves settling. Well, reading God's word, memorizing it, and putting it on a heart, will it heal Philip? Perhaps, perhaps not. But either way, there's the difference, either way. Does Philip want to die? Absolutely not. But the counsel of the Lord through the word of God rooted in his heart convinces him that when he comes to God and he asks for healing, God's answer will always be yes or better. When we come to God and we ask him for things, God God bless our family, God heal God work, God open up opportunities, that the reality, if if we are rooted in his truth and we believe that that his answer is always yes or better, that is God's desire. That is what God is working in us. Now, for Philip, does that mean better is in in a few short weeks, perhaps waking up? In the presence of Jesus, leaving his earthly body behind? That's, that's what we read in Scripture. That oftentimes those who, who, who follow Christ, oftentimes they left, they all left their physical bodies at some point, right? We all will leave them for something better. That's what we believe awaits us. Do we long for the wonderful counsel? Of the Lord. If you're like me, the answer is not as much as I should. But I would say, even this morning, if you're hearing this and you're recognizing your tendency 
to trust in yourself other than, other than trusting in God and his word. If this morning you're saying, yeah, I definitely do that. I definitely recognize and, 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 and I often trust in my own strength, my own choices, and I, and I don't really rely on God's word. And, and you're sensing that, that, that tension of what you do and what God expects, that's because God has given you the sight to see it. He's given you that tension. And our only response to that, our only response to that is to come to God as we are, asking him to increase our longing and convince us. God, convince us. We know that we can't hide from God. How can you hide from God? We can't outrun him. How can you outrun God? But let me say that that's not a bad thing. That's a good thing that we cannot outrun God because that means that there's nothing that we can do to avoid his mercy and his grace if he's trying and he wants to pour it out on you. If God wants to lavish his grace and mercy on you, that you can't run from him, you can't hide from him. That's what we see in this table. We see God lavish his mercy and his grace poured out in the person of Jesus Christ for sinners like you and me that are at times, oftentimes, untrusting, unreliable. This is what we see in the table. This, this table is for sinners like you and me to come and be renewed and refreshed, to be reminded of all that Christ has done for us. Would you pray with me? Father, as we come to this table this morning, we're reminded that we do not come of our own will or desire, we come by invitation. That this is not Christ Redeemer's table, uh, this is your table. And so, Father, I pray that as we wrestle with this question, do we need Christ? Do we long for him? I would pray that we would be okay answering that, no, we don't. But that if we didn't stop there, that we would say, God, Increase my longing. Increase my desire to live less in the world that is and more for the world to come. And it's in your holy son's name we pray. Amen.